0: Well, that's the Batman I grew up in. That's what, that's what TV was like in the 60s. You may say, I'm glad it wasn't in the 60s, but that's a little better than Dark Knight Rising today. Batman has morphed into something very different, as has much of our society. Gone are the innocent days in America. We're kind of laughing here as we're looking back and reminiscing a little bit about what it used to be like. About 10 days ago, Batman took on a very hideous nature in America. You know the story, there's a young man, his picture's on the screen there. That guy, 24 years of age, he was a Ph.D. student, had dropped out of a neuroscience program, James Holmes. Thursday night showing of Batman, 10 days ago, he comes in the emergency door and uh, He was somewhat a picture of the Joker, and, of course, you know the story now. He had guns, and he murdered 12 people, wounded 58 innocent people. That's real. Last week, we began to talk about this a little bit. How many know the Bible speaks to us about our culture and our world? The Bible helps us make sense of the world. It helps us make sense of the culture, what goes on. So we began to ask the question last week, as all of America is doing, is why did this happen? Why did this happen? Uh, Was it gun control? That's the first thing that that pops out of people's mind. There's too many guns. Guns are bad. Guns kill people. Uh, Was he a racist? Uh, Was he mentally disturbed? Did he have a bad home life? Well, last week I suggested to you that there's a spiritual root to what you saw there. As in all the evil occasions that happen in our society today, they have some spiritual connection and cause. We have to pause and think of the fact that evolution has been taught to several generations now, and evolution basically tells us there is no God. Evolution tells us that nothing created everything for no reason. It takes more faith to believe that, come on, than it does that there is an intelligent God that cares about people and has purpose for life. So everybody has faith, they just have faith in different things. But evolution has taught us God's not there, hence there's no accountability for your actions. You can do what you want to. You're God, in essence. I would suggest the modern idolatry is the worship of self. We have deified self to the degree so that we get to decide right and wrong, and he made a terrible decision. Abortion has taught us that life is insignificant. People are no different than a roach or a bug, and if they're a bother to you, you step on them or call it orc, and and you get it taken care of. The courts have s- systematically been removing God from our social conscience, uh, get God out of the schools, get God out of the public awareness. And all this basically is a way of telling God, we don't need you in our society, we can do just fine. Well, I suggest to you, we are wrong. And Jason Holmes' action are screaming loudly to us that America's headed in the wrong direction. There is a spiritual cause. And the fact is that America has turned away from God. And America's solution is returning to God. Now, the scripture we used last week was a call from Jeremiah the prophet, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, Jeremiah warning the people, a judgment was coming. And notice verse 16, he says, the Lord says, stand where the roads cross and look. I want you to imagine we're driving north of town or you're in the country, your roads have turned into gravel, you're trying to find someone's home and all of a sudden you turn to a crossroads and you stop. And you wonder, which way should I go? Do I continue the way I'm going? Do I go left or do I go right? Well, at that crossroads was a spiritual crossroads. And here's what Jeremiah said, and and perhaps you can say this with, with me. Ask where the old way is. Come on, say it with me. Ask where the old way is, where the good way is, and walk on it. Because if you do, you'll find rest for yourselves. In other words, it's a picture of prosperity, of blessing, of of God's goodness in your life, the happiness that you're searching for. But the happiness is found on the old ways, the good ways, which is a way of saying God's ways. And the sad fact in America today is America has been headed in the wrong direction morally and spiritually for quite a while. We're going the wrong way. We're going in a direction in America today where we don't even know uh, who should get married. We don't know if it's okay for men to marry or women to marry. Or now a lawsuit in Utah, uh, can a man have multiple wives or a woman have multiple husbands? I mean, you listen, you can barely handle the one you got. Why would you want three or four? <laughs> but, 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 but having said that, we, we don't know as a culture. Now, everybody has convictions about it. You don't believe it, ask the president Chick-fil-A. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, but, but we don't know as America, right from wrong. We don't, we don't know... If, if when a woman becomes pregnant, we don't know if a human being, a person, is living in her. Now, mind you, every woman that's had a baby, no woman has given birth to an elephant. It, it might feel like it, but no woman has ever given, no woman has ever given birth to a pony. No birth woman has ever given birth to a kitty cat or a doggy. I mean, when people are born, they are people. But our laws are such in America today that we don't even know if they're a person or not. Come on. That my home state, Mississippi, had, to, had, a, had a, an amendment to decide if a, a person existed in the womb or not. What an odd question. It's the question of a confused society. We don't know that you can't live beyond your means perpetually. We don't know, apparently, that you cannot spend in excess of a trillion dollars and make multi-trillion dollar commitments for the future with no money to pay for them and just keep on doing it. We just apparently don't know that there's a day of reckoning. We just apparently don't know as Americans. We can't even look in the sky and see the glory and the heaven of the Hubble telescope and all that. We can't even look under a microscope and see the wonder of DNA and know if there's a God. America is confused, headed in the wrong direction, friends. And as I said last week, America's solution is found in returning to God. So I've entitled the message again, The Old Ways, Part 2. And what I tried to do last week is suggest to you what these old ways were. We look to the writings of Jesus, His words. We look to Solomon, the wisest of the Old Testament characters. And basically, last week, we learned about these old ways. They are uh, The old ways are a, a, a philosophy of life, a biblical philosophy of life, that affects the way we think and the way we act. Let me say it again. A, 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 it's a biblical philosophy of life that affects the way you make decisions, the way you figure out what's right and wrong. It, it affects the actions that you take in life. Do I just do what I feel to do in life, or, or is there something, a boundary, that, that I, I choose to live within? And last week we looked at three. Number one is we learned that there is one true God. He's good, and He wants relationship with you. Jesus called that the great commandment. We also learned last week from Solomon that we need to fear God, because one day He's going to judge us, and we're going to give an account for our life. James Holmes did apparently not know that. He, he had, had he known that and had the fear of God in his life, he would not have pulled the trigger. We also learned last week from Jesus the second great commandment, "'Love your neighbor as yourself.'" That we literally are to treat people the way we want to treat them, the way we want them to treat us. That when we go to a movie theater, we'd like them to be courteous to us, not pull a gun out on us. It's very simple common sense, but that philosophy that if it was renewed in our society today would change the fabric of America. Just those simple things. There is a God, He's good, He wants relationship with you. He's gonna judge you one day, so you better get on the straight and narrow. And we need to treat people the way we want to be treated. Those simple things, if they were like the, these steel pillars in this building, uh, I, I, in case you didn't know, the pretty little woodwork is not holding the building up. That string of lights is not holding the building up. The paint, the sound panels, it's those steel beams and pillars. And I suggest to you that there is a truth that, that, that becomes the pillars or the fabric of a, of a culture, the, fam- the fabric of how you run your business, the, fa- the, the, the fabric of how your family Relates. These are the old ways that I'm talking about, and I want to give you three more this morning that I hope will, will uh, infiltrate not only your thinking, your acting, but you'll influence other people to follow them as well. Uh, look with me this morning. Uh, we'll go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and this first one is kind of basic, but I want to get deeper with it, and I think you'll see where I'm going. This uh, fourth old way is this. The Bible tells us the difference between right and wrong. You say, well, I knew that. Okay, well, I know you know that, but hang with me. The Bible tells us the difference between right and wrong, but not everybody in America believes that today. The president of Chick-fil-A just uh, several days ago said this. He said, I support the biblical definition of marriage as between a man and a woman. We are a family-owned business, a family-led business, and we're married to our first wives. We give God thanks for that. But the world would say, that's hate speech. You're a bigot. Uh, you're anti-gay. I-, I just think you're pro-Bible. You're, you're pro-God. But we live in a world that's not pro-God, that's not pro-Bible. And that doesn't make me a bigot. Listen, I just want everybody to know the joy of knowing God that I know. But he said that, and of course, if I can say that, all hell's broken loose against him. It's as if he committed the impardonable sin. The mayor of Chicago said these words. Which, by the way, um, this has become such a national issue that uh, Governor Huckabee declared Wednesday Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and Billy Graham in his 90s said, I'm eating more chicken this week on Wednesday. <laughs> so, if Billy Graham can support Chick-fil-A, but they're Baptists, by the way. They're Christians. They're brothers. And they're taking a cultural stand. How I many know that's a big deal when you're not open on Sundays? You say, well, boy, that's dumb of them. No, they value God more than they value money. There was a day in America when America had what's called blue laws. Blue laws when basically businesses weren't open on Sunday. But somehow in our desire to get this GDP getting higher and higher and more consumer buying things, it's just like any other day. And you just, you know, why do you even go to church? But America has shifted. But these guys are hanging in there. The mayor of Chicago said this. He said what the CEO has said as it relates to gay marriage and gay couples. is not what I believe. And listen to this presumptive statement. It's not what the people of Chicago believe. That's a pretty big deal. My hope is, is that we now move on to recognize gay marriage. Now, here's my question to you. Who's right and who's wrong? The, uh, the Cathy's or the mayor? Who's right now? And I'm not asking you to answer it, but I want you to think about this question. How do we know what's right and wrong? How do we even know? Now, think. Uh, if you were to uh, poll people, it'll be pretty hard for you to find someone to believe that what that guy did in that movie theater when he murdered those people, you'll, you'll be stretched to find people who say that was right. However, there were some Facebook posts the next day that were kind of supportive of him. Uh, just this week, the NCAA came out and said that what, what Penn State allowed by Sandusky's child molestation was wrong, and we're going we're gonna to smack you $60 million, basically the proceeds from one football season, you know all the things that they did, because they said it was wrong, However, have you ever heard of a group called NAMBLA, N-A-M-B-L-A? North American Man-Boy Love Association. say that again in case you didn't know it was out there. North American Man-Boy Love Association believes that older men should be able to freely have sex with boys, and they're pushing the age lower and lower. It's just out there. Just check it out. So here's my question again. Who's right and who's wrong? How do you know? who gets to decide what's right and wrong. Stay with me on this, because every one of you have a philosophy about this, whether you've articulated it or not. Every one of your children are formulating the answer to this question. See, there was a day in America where we respected the Bible as the absolute Word of God, absolute truth. We've gotten rid of that. They'll laugh at you today in college if you talk about absolute truths. They'll say that, well, what's true for you is good for you, but that may not be true for me. You know, I've heard a lot of people tell that to me. say, Pastor, that's good for you. Now, you're just some old guy, but that's, 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 not, that's not right for me. It's, it's just possible that truth may exist outside of you, friend, and your choice is whether you're going to embrace it or reject it. Yeah. But how do we know what's right? Does the individual get to decide? Do you have that right to decide what's right and what's wrong? Uh, how about a professional? Do we look to the professionals? If they've got a lot of credentials behind their name, does that make an issue right? How about the majority? If we take a poll in Americans and we say, okay, the majority of us believe that whatever the case is, gay marriage, abortion, you take your pick, lying, stealing, cheating, killing, whatever. We we think that's going to make it right. How about if the Congress makes a law or the Supreme Court makes a decision and the gavel, nine gavels fall and hit the table. Is that what makes it right? You know, there can be laws that are not righteous laws. There can be laws that may be the law of the land but are wrong. I suggest to you that God has reserved for himself the right to set the moral boundaries for mankind. Let me say it again. God has reserved for himself, the creator of this world, has reserved the right to tell us what's right and what's wrong. He's given us free will, and we get to decide if we're going to accept it or if we're going to reject it stay with me on this one. The Bible, the Scripture, the Word of God, talking synonymously here. It says of itself, now let me, first of all, let me mention this. Why do you believe the Bible, preacher? That's your job. Yeah, well, I started believing the Bible before it was my job. Amen. Let me tell you why I believe the Bible is the Word of God. Why it is the source of truth. Number one is because it introduced me to its author, God himself. Amen. What do you mean by that? As I began to read the pages of the Bible, I understood who I was, my need for a Savior, and how to get to Him. (laughs) Billions of people, billions, have had that same experience. You say, well, you're a bunch of stupid billions of people. Well, maybe so. If that's not good for you, take archaeology. And allow archaeology to show you the facts of the Bible that are true. What we unearth today confirms written on the pages of the Scripture. Now, mind you, I know it's true there's two doors you can enter in search of anything. You can enter through that door, the, un- the door of the unbeliever, the secularist, or you can enter through the door of the, un- of the believer. If you go through their door and that's all you read, all you'll do is find every question and everything we've not figured out yet, and that's where you'll end up. But if you'll have the courage to maybe start from a face of, place of faith, believing Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God, that God existed before time and God created what we now see, and allow that to at least start you thinking you may be a amazed what you would find. But you can believe whatever you want to believe and it puts your fingers in your ears and say, I don't want to hear anything else. But archaeology will get your attention. If you look at it from a legal perspective about the witnesses, those people that followed Christ that ran away before he was uh, crucified and then hid in a room, but for some reason, 10 out of the 11 of them died a martyr's death. Why? It's just possible That the body of Christ rose from the dead. And how many know if he rose from the dead, it's worth listening to? Uh, uh, Eyewitnesses, uh, fulfilled prophecy. If you want to do a study to discern, is this Bible true? You look at fulfilled prophecy. And I want to tell you what, friend, it is exponentially impossible for there to be dozens of prophecies about Jesus Christ hundreds of years before he was born, fulfilled exactly in the way that he talked about in his life. Lots of reasons to believe the Bible. But 2 Timothy 3, 6, 16, here's what the Bible says of itself. You choose to believe it or not believe it, but that doesn't make it necessarily false if you choose not to. Paul the Apostle said, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong. The Bible is useful to make us, teach us what is true, realize what is wrong. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do right. Now, if James Holmes had believed this, he would not have pulled the trigger He would not have pulled the trigger. And and, and you say, well, you're, you're forcing your religion on him. Well, maybe this little bit of religion, come on, is what our nation needs is a little bit of morality. A little bit of the sense of right and wrong. Our founding fathers believed the Bible established the right ways for the nation. John Adams, our second president, he said, I've examined all religions and the result is the Bible is the best book in the world. I wish our president would say that today. John Jay, the first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, the modern day John Roberts, said, You read, uh, he said, The Bible is the best of all books, for it is the Word of God. He goes on to say, If you read it and regulate your life by its precepts, you will have a happy life. Now, having said all that, Um, I I just had a privilege, yesterday, Pastor Mike and I went to a James Robinson-sponsored conference in Dallas called Indivisible. We sat with 5,000 people and listened to about 30 of the the most prolific speakers I've ever heard uh, across the Christian spectrum calling the nation to return to God. I listen to, you know, big names that you would know in the evangelical world, ranging from Ken Copeland to John Hagee to to uh, to uh, Dr. Land from the Baptist, from James Robinson the Baptist. I listen to, to Jewish rabbis. I listen to Catholic priests. I listen to Hispanic men. I listen to white men, black men. Differing a little bit in their theology, but all believing that there is one God, come on, that has created this world, that we're accountable to, and that God is the one that was responsible for this great nation, and that Christians need to call the nation back to God. Uh, it was a pretty powerful experience. This book, Indivisible, is kind of what birthed it, and we've got another case of them. It's my hope that every person in this church will read this book. You can download it to your Kindle. I think it's like eight bucks, but it is basically, we've got some in the lobby. I, I hope everybody reads it before because the issues in here are what this election is about. It's everything from immigration to uh, capitalism to, of course, uh, the same-sex marriage, who raises children, how much authority should the government have. It's we the people. Come on, not we, the governed. I mean, it, uh, the best treatise I've ever read in a couple chapters on capitalism and wealth creation and taxes, all these things from a biblical position. And uh, uh, I, I hope you'll, you'll pick that up and read it. But here's a question before we leave this point. How do I apply the Bible to everyday life? Here's where I think the problem is. Every Christian in this room would say, yes, I believe the Bible. Every Christian in this room would say, yeah, it's the Word of God. But here's my question. Are we doing what it tells us to do? Is it governing the way we think And the way we make our decisions. Here's how you apply the Bible. It's not rocket science. You look into the Bible to see what it says. And then you agree with it and try to do it. That's it. How how does that apply in everyday life? Well, you're filling out an expense report. And everybody else in the company lies and exaggerates. What are you going to do? What are you going to do, ma'am, if you see this red hot guy at work and you want it? But you happen to see that he has a little gold ring on his finger. (laughs) Yeah, but you want him and you don't understand. I mean, he is smoking hot. How do you decide what's right and wrong? Sex before marriage? Uh, Abortion? Same-sex marriage? I mean, you don't want to be called a bigot, obviously. Our president said when he came out in support of it, first president in America's history, he said, I have uh, gay couples that work for me, and they're great parents, and they have great kids, and therefore, that have changed my mind. Well, listen, I don't doubt there's wonderful people that work for him that are doing a great job raising their children that have chosen the gay lifestyle. But that's not what makes it right. Just because I feel it, just because I want to do that way, just because, well, that's the way that I am. Listen, yeah, yeah, the way that we all are is a sinner in need of a Savior headed in the wrong direction to get on the right direction. But this issue of right and wrong and how it's determined is one of the central issues of our day. And it's something that you need to uh, get into the fabric of your children's thinking. And this is a difficult thing to do. Now, let me tell you how this kind of works itself out. I was raised in the rural south, small town in Mississippi. I was born in 57. Uh, and uh, uh, I was raised in the 60s. Uh, my dad owned a farm. He and my grandfather, he had a lot of sharecroppers that were black living for, uh, working for him. There were a lot of one or two-room shacks on the property. Not because dad was mean, but because that's just all anybody had, and we didn't have that much. But I'm telling you, my best friend growing up was a man named Chester Gillum and John Bell. And John Bell just happened to be, he didn't have indoor plumbing, he didn't have water on the inside or a toilet on the inside, and he used the funny paper as wallpaper in his house. Now, it's not because he was discriminated against, it's just because everybody was poor. I was raised up around the N-word. I had a neighbor down the street from me that was a member of the Ku Klux Klan. And nobody really talked about it much, but you just kind of knew it was there. And here's my question. Everybody goes to church on Sunday. But some people on Saturday night in Old Mississippi would burn down, come on, a black church with a pony hat on, and then go to church on Sunday morning. Now, if all men are created in the image of God, come on, and in Christ, in Christ, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, but you're all one, how in the world could my actions be so inconsistent, come on, with the Scripture? And if you're in the middle of that situation, it's pressure to choose the right path. But here's what I say to you. Choose the right path anyway. Because the Bible is the source of right and wrong. And God needs courageous people, come on, that will stand for truth in our day. Give the Lord a good hand. I want you to go to Jeremiah 17. How do I know? Okay. The root cause of our evil acts. Now, stay with me on this. We're back to James Holmes and all the other vileness that you see. What is the root cause of this? Why do things like this happen? My friends, the Bible teaches us the root cause is our sinful nature. The root cause of this is because every one of us in America have been infected with the sin disease from Adam. Now, you won't hear this on the news. The nation's trying to understand why. The liberal media quickly says it was guns... Uh, the uh, the mayor of uh, New York, what's his name? Uh, Bluebird. Uh, he quickly came out calling both presidential contenders to take a stand for guns. He even went as far as to suggest that if policemen would all strike across America and Americans put down their guns and the problem would be solved. Now... So all the honest people put down their means of protection and then all the criminals keep their guns, come on. You didn't, did you read the story this week in Utah, by the way, that there was a crazed man that went in like a convenience store, bought a knife and began to stab people. There's blood going everywhere. And somebody pulled out their pistole and said, stop. And he said, yes, sir. And the police arrested him. You don't hear about that, do you? Gun laws will control. Do you realize where the shooting took place? Aurora, Colorado has some of the strictest gun laws in that part of the country. Uh, the city of Chicago... Uh, It's just like the streets of Afghanistan with the murder rate. They have super strict gun laws. Our neighbor to the south, Mexico, its gun laws are so strict you can't even own a gun. If they find one on you, they don't have Second Amendment rights like you do. If they find a gun on you, they'll put you under the jail. When we used to go across the border, the missionary would tell us, uh, don't even have a bullet on you or you'll be under the jail. Guess what? Last year there were 50,000, come on, in that Country fifty thousand plus murders in the drug trade, so gun laws listen are not working. Many blame Hollywood. I'm I, I'm thrilled that Hollywood is asking the question. If you follow this story, uh, L.A. Times film critic this week said this. Now listen, he said it's impossible to be surrounded by the 21st century's blood-soaked cinematic culture and not wonder what effect it's having on us. Good point. Others say it was a mental disorder. He killed all those people because he was deranged. So hence he's not responsible. Maybe he killed those people the same reason Judas betrayed Jesus. Because Judas had a seed of evil greed in him. And he got offended when Jesus confronted it. And he went in for 30 pieces of silver. But the Bible says as he was going, Satan entered into him. Maybe something like that was at work. Maybe it was racism, home life, political beliefs. Take that one. Friday morning, one of the first things the major news network said is that he was a member of the Tea Party. And they found that out. Think of this, journalism. They found that out because they did a Google search with his name. There were only, though, about two dozen people named James Holmes in that region. They quickly they retracted that afternoon. All these are the things that the, pe- the world is talking about. But there's a deeper issue, friends. The deeper issue, the root problem, is the sinful heart of man. Now stay with me on this. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. It says, the human heart, say it with me, is the most deceitful of all things and who really knows how bad it is. The human heart is desperately wicked. That means inside all of us, is a bent towards evil. That means the root of murder, of rape, of lying, stealing, violence, all the horrible actions, people that sell drugs, people that slander. The reason grandma cheats at cards. (laughs) The reason your perfect little baby says no and bites kids in our sanctified nursery is because all of us, at some level, have a bent towards evil, and it's called sin. It's the root problem. See, when you get rid of God out of the social consciousness of the nation, when the courts say there is no God, there must not be any sin because we get to make the rules. But I'm telling you, friends, the root problem is sin. If you want to understand how this worked and why it happened, the first murder, Genesis 4, verse 8, Adam's children, Cain and Abel, They were in the field. Cain rose up against his brother Adam, and he killed him. First murder, Genesis 4. Now, to understand why it happened, you go back to Genesis 3. And in Genesis, before the events of Genesis 3, Adam and Eve lived in a perfect place, just like one day heaven will be a perfect place. Everything was great. They didn't have any problems whatsoever. There was no jealousy, no anger. There was no murder. uh, There was no snakes. I mean, you know, there was no bugs. I mean, there was just just no problems. But God, in that beautiful garden, had set up one boundary. Remember I said God has the right to make the rules? And he said there's one tree that there is an invisible fence around that's called my will, right and wrong, and I don't want you to eat from it. Every other tree you can have. And Satan came up to her, to Eve, and said, listen, God's withholding something good from you. You see, if you would just go ahead and lie on your expense report, you'll have more money and you can get the things you want. You see, God is withholding something good from you. I know that gal that you're flirting with over there is married, but listen, it doesn't matter in today's world. It just, it really doesn't matter because God's commandments are intended to hurt you, not help you. If you'll just go and embrace her in your arms, you'll be happy for the rest of your life. And he whispered to Eve to take a bite. And she took a bite. And everything changed just like that. And all of a sudden, pain came into the world. Heartache came into the world. Sadness, pain. And they were cast from the Garden of Eden. And the very next chapter, their kids are killing each other. So if you want to see the the, 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 the pathway, this old way to understand why evil is in the world, then you'll understand the need for a Savior. Come on, His name is Jesus Christ. One that can deal with the sin problem in a way that's acceptable to God. So listen, friends, that's that's the root of evil. It doesn't excuse evil, but it should drive us towards the Savior. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. Let me give you the last one. Genesis 127, this last pillar or old way. Or foundation that could well change the fabric of our nation, that could change your home, that could change your workplace, that could change the philosophy of the ball team you play on. And it's this, all people are valuable because they're created in the image of God. Now think about this, we ascribe value to people for many reasons. We, give, we ascribe value because of the importance of your position. You know, our president, uh, he, he rides in a, in a bulletproof limousine and he has guards because he, you know, he is, he is uh, uh, the most powerful man in the world that's still one breath away from eternity. We ascribe value, more value to him than we would a person that lives on the street. We ascribe more value to someone that has a lot of money than someone who has no money. We ascribe value to people who have more uh, letters behind their name than those that don't have any letters behind their name. Uh, in some circles, we ascribe more value to a person because of their skin color, depending on whatever prejudice happens to be your choice. But value is ascribed by different ways in culture, but not with God. The Bible, Genesis 1, 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This image of God—it's kind of an abstract term. Theologians disagree on what it exactly means, but it means in some way man resembles God. Now, it doesn't mean God is, you know, a six-foot tall. It doesn't mean, that, you know, that God is gender-oriented, though the Bible clearly teaches that He is referred to as Father. But it, 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 this image of God—it means somehow we share His capacity for for creativity, for reason, for morality, for relationships. We are. Uh, 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 created, we, we, we like are the fingerprint of God. Uh, uh, people are the highest form of creation. Animals are important, but we're different than animals. What we're is, as, as special as your doggie is, people are different. And it's because we bear the image of God, we have value. Now, sadly to James Holmes, the people in that theater did not have value. They were insignificant. Because in his thinking, his worldview was not a biblical understanding of the sacredness of life. I suggest to you that Christians should be at the forefront of standing up for people who can't help themselves. Because they bear the image of God. Let me give you my last scripture. Psalm 82.3. And I want you to listen to these words. And I want you to think about our Christian responsibility. It says, defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Defend the cause of the weak. Maintain the rights of the... uh, Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Think of the words that command us. Defend them, rescue them, deliver them. What does that mean? It means that we should help protect the unborn. That's why you will hear me talk so often about abortion. And I have a sin in that regard in my background. But we should stand because they cannot speak for themselves. Uh, the elderly, and, and we're coming to a day in America. You watch if healthcare that now was supposed to be you know you know free and all that, and it was going to be great and everybody insured. And 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 buddy, one day, I read this uh, week before last that in Great Britain that has socialized medicine, 130,000 people were denied healthcare to to cause them to live longer because they were deemed not productive in society, because something about their life made the bureaucrats say we're going to withhold care because care is limited. You see, care became an utilitarian type function. You have value because you have money, because your political affiliation, because you, your work you do for society. No, I say the Bible says you have value because you bear the image of God. Yes. It's coming in America. The handicapped, we should, we should care for the handicapped. Uh, the poor, the immigrant, the widow... The fatherless child, innocent, chi- innocent children, those that are suffering from real racism. Not the cultural, you're racist and bigot. I'm talking about the real prejudice in the world we live in today. We as Christians should stand for those that cannot stand for themselves because they bear the image of God. Listen, our Declaration of Independence, they're going to put it on the screen. Our founding fathers shared this value of the sacredness of life. Our Declaration of Independence says we hold these truths to be self-evident, which means that you don't have to be a Christian to know this is right. You can observe God in the created order. Uh, These truths are self-evident to any man that would be honest and and take a look. All men are created equal. Now, that's not a sexist statement. It's a gender-inclusive term. All people are created equal. See, in the eyes of God, the president of Wells Fargo and the homeless person downtown are of equal worth and value. Now, listen, the contribution of the bank president is more for the homeless person for whatever reason, be it his choice or, 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 or sickness or whatever the case is. His contribution to society is different, but his value as an individual, come on, are the same. All men are created equal, whether we're black or white, come on, or Hispanic or Oriental or whatever our nationality we bear, whether our gender is male or female. Come on, whether we're poor or rich, educated, uneducated, we bear the stamp of God. And because we bear the image of God, listen, we with our founders say all men are created and endowed by their creator. Don't let the humanist, uh, revisionist, historian tell you that they were not believers in God. Come on. We're endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights. That is, rights that belong to all of us, the first one being the right to live. That's why children in the womb deserve our protection and encouragement. I heard the most amazing story when I read this book, Indivisible, by James Robinson. He was sharing in his own life. Now, James Robinson has been one of the most prominent uh, voices in the the Christian community for 50 years. But his mother was raped when she was a single mom. Raped. Going in to have an abortion. And the doctor told her, this is in his book, the doctor told her, said, Ma'am, I just think you're making a mistake if you do this. I think this child will bring great joy to the world. And she had that boy. And he was adopted and went through a tumultuous childhood. Come on. And God turned him into one of the great voices for righteousness in America. It's because he had a right that that doctor saw. Put the, consta- put the declaration back on the screen, please. Rights uh, given by God. Liberty, which is freedom. Now stay with me a moment. And the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. Your rights do not come from government. Your rights come from God. Your creator. And government's legitimate role is to protect our freedoms, not take them away. And that's the battle for America's soul today. Anyway, we could do a whole little message on that last part, but I want you to see that our founders believed, come on, that we're created by God and hence we have value. Give the Lord a good hand today. Why don't you stand to your feet? We want to close in prayer this morning. You know, the Bible tells us not to be a, a hearer of the word, but a what? So here's my question today. What are you going to do with what you've heard? Let me kind of review these old ways, because here's my hope. What I've shared with you is an undeniable, across the board, foundational biblical philosophy of life that should influence the way we think and the actions that we take. Whether it's the way I treat my wife, my children the way that I respond to you as a church member, the way that you respond to me as your pastor, the way that we respond to the poor in our community the way that we relate to to government, whatever, everything friends, is affected by this biblical philosophy. So my challenge to you is this embrace the old ways and then l- use your influence to take these old ways as far as you can take them influence your children influence the people on your ball team influence the people at work influence those that are running for public office use your influence to reestablish the old ways and what were they let me remind you the first one is there is one true God He's good he wants relationship with you. Yes. And we're not trying to force everybody to have relationship with God. Take it or leave it. But, that doesn't, but, but listen, He's true and He's good and He Amen. wants relationship. Because one day He's going to be your judge and you're going to have to give an account yes. of your life. Treat people the way that you want to be treated. Amen. Let the golden rule be the pattern of your life. The second great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Yes. Let what we heard this morning infiltrate your thinking. Allow the Bible to determine right and wrong in your life and the decisions that you make. Maybe you're like somebody and everybody else just lives together before they're married, so you're going to try it too. That's not, go to the Bible, friend. If you don't know what it says, there's a lot of people you can ask around this church that'll help you and won't condemn you, but will love you. But go to the Bible and let your life be patterned after it. The next thing is understand. The source of evil—that it's from the sinful nature of man—and we need a savior. You say, "Okay, well, that's just something to think about." No, I raised my kids on this. Rebecca, when she was little, and she would do something wrong, and she'd get in trouble, she'd say, "Oh, Daddy, I'm so sorry that I made you mad at me." I said, "Honey, that's not the issue. The issue is when you told a lie, you sinned against God." Yes. Now. Let's get on our knees and let's ask God to forgive us for that lie. Jesus, I'm sorry that I told a lie to get a cookie. Please forgive me. Thank you. Amen. Give Daddy a big hug, sweetie. I forgive you and I love you. But ask next time, okay, Daddy, what did you just do? You helped that child understand that their behavior affects their relationship with God. So, see, this is not just theory. This is life. And then lastly, all people that you'll ever see in life bear the image and fingerprint of God. Treat them as they have value. Let's pray. Lord, today we just simply want to say thank you that you've given us the Bible. Thank you that we don't have to smuggle it in like they do in some places around the world. But we have the freedom to talk about it in a public arena in our great nation. And we want to pray for America today. We simply want to pray that America would return to God. We pray that our nation would return to the old ways. And that place of returning would start with the men and women in this room. Would start with Christians across this great land. That we would turn our hearts back to God. Because we are your people. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you today. you you slip your hands to heaven as an act of surrender. And say, Lord, I surrender my will to you. I say, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. I give you my life afresh. I want to walk with you and follow you all my days. I want my life, Lord, to be a reflection of what you show me is right and wrong. And I want to influence as many people as I can to pursue the old ways of life. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Everybody say it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hey, it's a good day today, wasn't it? I'm so glad you came. I hope you'll bring a friend next week and come Wednesday night for our night of worship and kind of a Holy Ghost ministry night. But I want to close this way. If you'll give me just one more moment. We're going to sing a song in just a second and then dismiss. But I want to offer an opportunity for prayer. We've worshipped. We've learned the Bible. We took communion. But maybe you need to pray with somebody for a personal need in your life. Take just two or three minutes and do it. God can do something big in your life. We'll pray about anything in your world that may be going on, any kind of pressures, worries, fears, needs. Listen, God cares, and God can help you. Maybe you're here today, and you say, Pastor, my problem is I need to get right with God. I've been going my own way, and I I need to surrender my life to Christ. I need to get saved. I, I want somebody to help me get on track with God we'd be honored to help you so as our prayer team comes to the altar right now we're just going to begin to sing the song and if you need prayer for anything you just come friend you come we'll sing it through one time and go but if you need god to help you in some way we'd be honored to pray for you god bless you and i love you thank you for coming today